0: So Father, we come in Jesus' name and through his blood, Lord, we thank you, and we pray over the word of the Lord tonight. We ask you to come mightily upon this word. Lord, we ask you that you would anoint me and speak through me everything that needs to be said. And I pray that by your Holy Spirit moving very powerfully upon everyone that's going to be listening and watching this, help us all to have good, fertile soil of hearts and minds and lives, and that this will be spoken out, the word of the Lord, as living seeds of truth, sown into good soil. It will be watered by the Holy Spirit, take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains until Jesus comes. Lord, we ask you let there be a washing of the water of the word, but let your word go out like a mighty hammer that's going to break down strongholds of the enemy break down strongholds of traditions of men pharisee spirits things like that's going to break the power of these things let your word go out like a sword that's going to penetrate and get where it needs to go we ask you lord that your word will be like a bright shining light of truth and dispel all the darkness all the lies all the deception how many knows when the light comes on all the roaches and bugs start scattering Lord, let your light shine bright and just scatter the enemy. Lord, we ask you as this goes out, let the winds of the Holy Spirit carry it everywhere it needs to go, and let your mighty angels watch over to make sure that everything's going to take place that needs to. As we know, Jesus taught us the birds of the air try to steal the seed. So we all agree together that any demonic force of any kind that would try to hinder this word, try to hinder it from going forth or getting where it needs to, in the name of jesus we as a church we bind them right now and we command you to be bound and back off and go in jesus name right now lord let your mighty angels just clear all that out and that you come speak through me and let this go out and accomplish everything you sent it for to do that's the promise of god your word will not return void but it will go forth and accomplish that which you sent it for to do so lord we believe it and we stand on that promise and we thank you for it tonight in jesus name we pray amen if we can if we could shut that door And uh, let's just dive into the word of the Lord tonight. How many of you guys would say after going through the feast this year that you really have fallen in love with some things? Like, for example, the concept of the tabernacles for God's glory, tabernacles among his people. Man, I love that. Well, I want to talk about a few things tonight regarding the Feast of Tabernacles. This will be part two. I've been doing a holy place series, and I put these in with it. But we've covered a lot of things. We talked about the power of communion. Remember, we talked about if you uh, forsake your first love, that supreme love feast, that God will remove the lampstand. And remember that the lampstand spoke of God's family tree. But it also spoke of what? The word of God and the spirit of God. So in other words, God has given us as his family, his word and his spirit. Isn't that awesome? And also the lampstand speaks of God's power, speaks of pentecostal power and god's been giving me a word for next week you guys want to be here but talking about americanized christianity and powerless christianity okay i say this in love but man true biblical christianity is powerful there's power and if what you got is powerless that's concerning all right so in this sermon though i want to deal with the feast of tabernacles and pick up from last week where I talked about don't let the devil put out your fire. But I would say not only don't let the devil put out your fire, but don't let the devil steal your hunger. Because that's where it starts. So that's really what God put on my heart for tonight. How many of you guys know is whenever you, when somebody's battling a sickness, usually the first thing to happen is, is that they start losing their appetite. But it's interesting because in actual fact, your body needs you to eat nutritious food to beef up your immune system and fight that thing off. But you're going to have to kind of go against your inclination because all of a sudden you feel like you're not hungry. In the same way, when people start spiritually getting sick, the first thing that begins to go is their hunger. And God has created us as Christians like a boat. You see, if you look at a boat, you'll see the front of the boat has a V V shape and it's meant to go through and just part those waves and have a strong forward momentum. No matter what's gonna come against it, it has that, that V shape in the front just to go right through it. But if you look at the back of a boat, it's flat and it's never intended to go backwards at high speeds in the same way God has created us as Christians that we have like a v-shape in front of us that regardless of whatever the devil tries to throw against us God wants us to keep plowing forward and move move through it and keep going and the way I think that the devil attacks a lot of times is very subtle I mean you guys know if you see the devil coming your guard's gonna be up so the devil tries to be very subtle he tries to come in so quietly he wants to tiptoe into the room And it's so quiet and so subtle that people don't even recognize what's going on. And one of those subtle attacks is to steal your hunger. Because all of a sudden people lose that hunger and they begin to get out of prayer. They begin to get out of the word of God. They begin to neglect church attendance. It shows up where they used to be witnessing and they used to be active and doing things, the fruit begins to diminish. But how did the whole thing start? It all started because their hunger began to wane. And one of the things I would say is, is stay hungry for God. Even if the devil begins to really oppress where it feels like it's difficult to pray. How many have ever felt that way? I have. You feel like something doesn't want you to pray let me just clue you in on it whenever the devil is truly trying to hinder your prayer life that's because right now is a very important time to be praying in actual fact you need to be praying at that time probably more than you did yesterday and the devil knows it he knows it's significant he's trying to resist you what we've got to learn to do is we need to learn to be like the v-shape on that boat no matter what resistance tries to come we're gonna plow through it and keep going and don't lose your hunger some of the ways it's just like last week about losing that fire the hunger can be lost by unforgiveness make sure that you keep short accounts with people that you forgive from your heart and you just let things go and don't harbor things because unforgiveness will steal your hunger the second thing I talked about last week and it's the same today is unrepentant sin be somebody that's quick to repent i mean right as something happens you maybe you say something you shouldn't have said maybe you something happens it comes up and you did something you shouldn't have done don't wait a week to deal with it go pray excuse yourself get alone with god say lord please forgive me i repent wash me in the blood of the lamb And really turn from it and pray quickly because the longer you keep that in your life and it's not dealt with, the more hardened your heart can get. Another thing that will steal your hunger is laziness. We're all flesh, but we've got to learn to die to our flesh. And your flesh is what tries to keep you out of prayer and out of the Word. You know, you you seem to find, we all do, we all seem to find time As busy as we are, we all seem to find time for what we want to do. People can say that all day long, well, you just don't understand, I'm so busy. We're all busy. But people seem to find time to watch their favorite TV show. They'll find the time. They'll find the time to keep up with their sports team and to go to things they want to go to. See, it's all about priorities. If people are lazy, what they're doing is is that their flesh is really running their life. Instead of them, the spirit running their life, they're walking and living in the flesh. They're feeding their flesh, what their flesh wants. You're gonna to have to learn, and I'm going to, we're all gonna have to learn to die daily to that flesh and to go after God. And the more that you do that, the more that that flesh nature will become a slave to your life and the more that you will walk in the spirit of God. But it's going to have to be some discipline in your life, in my life. We have to live a disciplined life. And I think about the Apostle Paul, you know, how he lived such a crucified life. I mean, he's such, in, the Apostle Paul is an inspiration probably in many ways. But this to me is where his life was probably the greatest inspiration to me. He was willing to give up marriage. He was willing to give up having kids. And he was willing to give up a very, very successful career religiously that he had in front of him. He could have been famous in Israel. He could have been somebody as a Pharisee that had a lot of wealth financially and had a lot of prestige. He had a very lucrative career there. But he gave it up. He gave all that up for the gospel. And he said, I counted all his loss as rubbish. And he went out serving God. And what was he doing? Going from place to place, being persecuted, beaten, imprisoned, made fun of. Think about, I mean, that's an inspiration that he was willing to forsake the things of this world and, and totally die to himself, totally die to what his flesh wanted and really go after God so we're going to have to not be lazy we're going to have to learn to discipline our flesh and bring it under subjection and die to it and go after God in prayer and the fourth thing I would say is be careful that your home is in order because it's in our culture I don't want to be too negative but in our culture in America to have a home in order and to be submitted to authority you're going to have to go against the culture There's probably not too many, if any, television shows where the husband's not made to look like a total idiot and the wife wears the pants and the kids are in disarray and are totally rebellious to their parents. And that seems to be celebrated. There's not gonna be too many shows or movies that you see where the authority figure, whether he was a political figure, whether he's a boss at work, maybe he's somebody in the military, but whatever type of authority figure there is, that they're not put in a bad light and the people rebelling against them are celebrated in their rebellion watch for him it's the culture that's why many times so many churches and ministries have just been having to go against the grain so much because it's such a rebellious many times people buck up and rebel against authority and there's division And it's sad, but that's the way things are. But anyway, make sure that your home is in order in the way God would consider it to be in order. Not comparing yourself with other people. But wives are truly submitted in everything as unto the Lord. And to show respect to your husband. That's what it says in Ephesians. It says to reverence your husband. It means show respect. And then children to obey their parents. An interesting thing is I... I did a study on, you know, years ago, a word study on that. And it says, wives submit to your husbands. The word there in the Greek implies willingly submit. But with children, the Greek word implies that they're forced to submit. In other words, they're going to get spanked or whatever. They're going to they're be disciplined if they don't, you know. And you have to teach your children. You have to discipline them. Administer discipline in love. Whether it's corporal punishment, groundings, whatever. But God is looking for a home that's in order. And in that order, and the same thing in the church, if people will come under authority and submit to authority, see, as long as people are just getting what they want all the time, they're going to go along to get along. But as soon as you tell people you need to quit doing that, you're going to stop doing that, it's going to be this way, and it goes against what they want, you'll find out if they're rebellious or not. Because they'll start bucking up against you. And God cannot bless rebellion. And trust me when I tell you, rebellion is a huge door for the enemy in people's lives. So make sure your home's in order, that you're under authority. There's tremendous protection there. But as long as people are prideful and rebellious, they're gonna have a very difficult time staying on fire for God and keeping their hunger because they're gonna be living under satanic oppression. All right, so Tabernacles is about the glory of God. We went from the time of the Feast of Trumpets where we were awakened to our spiritual condition. All of us begin to self-evaluate. Am I really where I need to be? Am I, have I backslidden some? And then we go to Yom Kippur time, which has to do with the day of Jacob's trouble, but it also has to do with repentance. Then now we're saying, Lord, forgive us for the things in our lives that aren't right. We truly repent and we deal with things. And then that leads into tabernacles where the glory of God begins to increase. And I have felt over this this month that God's glory has continued to increase. So Tabernacles speaks of the glory, but the Feast of Tabernacles has three major themes. Number one, the glory in our midst, God's glory, his manifest presence, tabernacling in our midst. The second theme of Tabernacles is that we are pilgrims passing through this life. See, God, God told the children of Israel, To build these shelters these booths and they were supposed to be somewhat flimsy and temporary and he said for them to remember how Abraham Isaac and Jacob lived a life that was a nomadic lifestyle that they left Abraham left his father's house and he lived in a tent and he just simply went from place to place where God led him but Abraham lived a life realizing that the Bible says in Hebrews He was looking for a city whose maker and builder was God. He never allowed himself to get too entangled with Canaan and the people of Canaan. He never adopted their culture. He was always a stranger in a foreign land. That's another major theme of tabernacles that we're just passing through. We're not going to let this world, we're not going to adopt the sinful culture of this world, we're not going to conform to this world but we're strangers in this land we're just passing through and live with eternity in mind and then the third uh, theme of Tabernacles is the prophetic insight we know that Yom Teruah the Feast of Trumpets is the rapture we know Yom Kippur is the days of Jacob's trouble the seven-year tribulation but we also know Tabernacles speaks of the thousand-year reign of Christ his glorious appearing where he comes and his feet are going to touch the Mount of Olives and he's going to come to dwell in Jerusalem and to reign for a thousand years. Man, I look forward to that day because one of these days, guys, we're going to be in Jerusalem worshiping the king and he's going to be here. And that's what Tabernacles speaks of, that Jesus is returning for, for us and to be here. All right. And the fact that Tabernacles is a flimsy shelter, a temporary thing, shows our total dependence on god and remember jesus the bible said he had no place to lay his head we need to learn to live dependent on god it's easy in american prosperity to get dependent on our paychecks and other things but be careful with that we need to stay dependent on god and you know the glory took care of israel's problems which i'm going to get to that here in a moment but when the glory of god is in your midst the glory will begin to take care of a lot of problems that's been here also the communion table we talked about that i believe in the days to come regarding the communion table that god has been moving very powerfully to draw the body of christ back to the communion table i remember back in the 90s there was a strong move of god from multiple sources to begin to bring the communion table back to the body back to the forefront There was a lot of teaching that came with it, and it was very significant, and it was very life changing for me. But this is the key God is drawing us back to the communion table. Why? Because it's going to help get us ready for the coming of Christ. I believe that. I believe if people will reverence the body and blood of the Lord, the communion table together as a church, that God is going to use this in the days to come to help deeply consecrate us. It's going to help the, the communion table is going to help keep us healthy and strong physically. And because of the communion table, the glory of God's going to be in our midst. And when the glory is there, I'm about to explain some things, but the glory will take care of a lot of things in the church. So here's a couple of things. I'm going to come to the glory here in a moment. Jesus at the Feast of Tabernacles. We have scriptures where Jesus was at these feasts, and in John 7.37. Jesus was at Sukkot he had went to Jerusalem and it says on the last day the great day of the feast that's called Hoshana Rabbah and what that is is the seventh day of the feast of tabernacles Sukkot this is the great and final day and you have to understand on this day that the priest would go out and they would bring in large buckets of water and they were pouring them out at the temple. And they were believing God to send rain on the land of Israel. And it was a time of great rejoicing, a great celebration. And Jesus, in the midst of this, picture the scene. You've got all these people that came to Jerusalem for the Feast of Tabernacles. So there's people everywhere. There's, there's uh, Sukkot everywhere. There's little booths all over and people are feasting and rejoicing and celebrating. The priests are bringing in big buckets of water and they're dumping them out and they're, they're praising and worshiping God. There's people waving the lulav everywhere. And Jesus, in the midst of that, it says that he stood up and he cried out saying, if anyone is thirsty, let him come into me to drink right as the priests are pouring out the water. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. By this he spoke of the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. For the spirit had not yet been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. But Jesus spoke this at the feast of tabernacles. He could have spoke this any other time. Jesus was speaking about a move of the Holy Spirit like a river. I'm gonna tell you that tabernacle speaks of the glory of God. And I've heard so many times people told me things like this. You know, we had a powerful altar time here at River of Life, and people were hit by the power of God. They they were down there under the glory of God, and people would say, you know, maybe I couldn't get up, but they felt like waves coming over them. How many of you have there's people told me this? How many of you guys have felt that? Some of you told me. You felt you felt like waves of God's glory coming over. You know what that is? That's the rivers. And that's what Jesus was saying at Tabernacles. He said that from your innermost being will flow rivers. You know, it, it really grieves me. This is next week's sermon. You know, it's interesting how it just tries to come out. Okay, I'm just I'm I'm really showing some discipline here. But, you know, there's such such a lack of the power and presence of God in so many places today. And what upsets me is is that places that used to be Pentecostal, spirit filled, and and the presence and power of God used to move. And now you don't ever see, you don't hear tongues. You, you don't feel the power of God. There's no altar time for people to really get prayer. And and, and you're, there's not any, just soaking in the presence of God and, and seeing the power of God. It's sad. You know, I used to get irritated. I don't anymore. I just, I, it just grieves me. But here, we're always going to welcome the Holy Spirit. And we want the Holy Spirit to move and touch people because there are so many countless things that the Holy Spirit can do in one altar service that I could not do the rest of my life. You know, preachers need to realize that we don't have a whole lot to offer really. All we have is him to offer and he's everything you need. But as far as us, we don't really have we're not all that smart we don't got it all together we don't have all the answers but jesus does and people want to act like well they're all here to hear me preach give me a break they need god they need the lord they need the word of the lord they need the presence of the lord all right so i've already read through this about abraham looking for a you know maker and cities builders god and jesus taught us as we're passing through this life do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store for yourselves treasures in heaven. So that's, that's the key. Live with eternity in mind. Now I think about how Abraham and his family and Isaac and Jacob, I, I think about how they lived in tents and they just went from place to place. But they never felt, think about this for a moment, they never felt like they fit in. They lived in Canaan, but they had God's culture in their family so they always felt out of place How many of you guys feel that way you should if you don't feel that way I'm worried you should feel as you're living through this Christian life you should feel so out of place with the world that's out there we don't fit in we have a totally different belief system and a totally different culture we have heaven's culture And then this is what I wanted to get to is the glory of God. I really believe that God is sending, not only sending forth angels regarding river of life and what he's shown us, but he's going to increase his glory significantly. It's already begun to happen. We've seen an increase over the last month, but I believe that he's going to keep increasing his glory. And even here recently, last couple days, just at home, I have felt an increase of the glory of God. But... We need the glory, especially in these latter days, because there's gonna be perilous times. And here's what the glory did. When Israel was wandering through the wilderness, you have to understand, you had a nation of people that for around 400 years were there, so you had a group of people now that had never known anything but Egypt. Think about this for a minute. They've never been outside of their their little village in Egypt. They've never been anywhere. And all of a sudden now, they're having to cross this Red Sea. They've got a military. At that time, Egypt had the most powerful military on the planet. They had the most powerful military after him to kill them. They're having to cross this Red Sea, seeing this God that their father Abraham worshipped, part these waters. You know that was an awe-inspiring moment, okay? They're crossing through there. And now they're going into a desert and it's so uncertain. How are we going to eat? How are we going to have water to drink? How are our kids going to live? You can't go more than three days without water. And everything was so uncertain and they were having to learn to trust God. But God, what he did was at the Passover table, God began to bring them under the blood of the lamb which was a spiritual thing that happened to them the Bible says they came out there was none sick or feeble among them and they they came out with wealth they plundered Egypt but it was at that Passover table that they were healed because you know as well as I do as poor as they were and, and the slaves that they were you know that they were sick you know they were feeble but God did something at that Passover table heal them up and strengthen them and a wealth transfer so they came out healthy they came out financially prosperous then he baptizes them in the red sea they were water immersed god is spiritually cleansing them as a nation of priests to bring them to sinai where he was going to come down and they were going to have an encounter with god god was preparing them for that and as god began to meet with them at sinai the leaders went with moses up the mountain of god into where there was a cloud they went up part way up that mountain, and the Bible says this, you look it up, that those leaders with Moses that they ate and they drank and that they saw God. And they lived. They ate and drank in God's presence, which I believe was a pre incarnate Christ that they saw on a the throne. They said around the Lord's feet was like a, a, a blue color. And so they, they were they were in the presence of God eating a covenant meal. But after that, God gave Israel, the, the Torah gave him the first five books of the Bible. And in that, God had Aaron as a priest would stand up and would speak the blessing of God over the people. The Lord bless you and keep you. Lord, make his face shine upon you, be gracious unto you. Lord, lift up his countenance upon you, give you peace or establish you in peace. He spoke that over him. And through that, now, they were a nation of priests that had been sanctified unto God. they had an encounter with God. they had come in a covenant. Now, Aaron's blessing them. And what happens is this. The glory of the Lord began to be in the midst of Israel. And as the glory began to move in and around Israel and tabernacle among them, the Bible says that it became to be over them like a fire, like a pillar of fire at night. And during that cold desert in the night and I'll tell you I've been out my wife and I had to travel and we went through some area that was desert and at night it would get down in like the 60s or lower and then during the day it would get triple digits it was really weird it, you know we would you'd be used to a certain temperature and then it would be just this radical change but anyway at night God put a fire there to keep them warm and then in the day The glory formed some kind of a canopy over them to just shade them from the heat so that they wouldn't get sunburned and parched And as they were going in the glory, I want you to think about this for a minute in the glory everybody say in the glory In That scenario with the glory in their midst the Bible says that their clothes did not wear out That's supernatural The Bible says that God gave them manna from heaven supernatural food the Bible says that enough water came out of a rock a rock enough water came out of a rock to water an entire nation and all their animals all their kids that's supernatural so in the glory there was supernatural provision and the glory of God in their midst protected them from their enemies Here's a ragtag group of people who had never fought a war in their life that now is having to fight wars with trained military that had horses, chariots, swords. They were trained. They were fierce. And Israel's just going through the desert. They had just been slaves. They don't know how to fight. They've never handled a sword. But in the glory of God, God crushed their enemies under their feet. He gave them victory. But you know as well as I do, it was supernatural. And God protected them. God provided for them. God led them. That glory in their midst would lift up and would move in whichever direction it went. They began to pack things up, and there was a certain order. Judah went first. But there was a certain order, and they would follow the glory. And that glory would move and then it would begin to hover and they'd realize well this is where we need to camp and so they would camp and that glory would settle back down on top of that tabernacle but they camped all around the tabernacle in the wilderness so it was the glory of god and that's what tabernacles is about is god's glory and it's always grieved me because i know because of different camps i've been in through the years There's some people that just sit around and talk about their salvation experience in the blood and as awesome and as wonderful as that is, that's incredible. But God's wanting us to also get baptized in His Holy Spirit and to be clothed with power and begin to do something for God, to begin to be a witness. The Bible says in Acts 1-8, when the Spirit of God comes upon you, you will be my witness. But it takes the power of God to really be an effective witness. And also we need to begin to function in the gifts that comes at the baptism of the holy spirit but even beyond the baptism in the holy spirit god is also wanting us to begin to understand to come into his glory that's a total totally different realm see in the outer court of the tabernacle y'all are familiar with it enough now that i can just use it as an example in the outer court of the tabernacle is the salvation experience the blood and the water salvation water immersion and people talking about that but when you went into the holy place where the table of showbread the menorah the incense altar in that realm the priest wore the blue tunic with the bells and the pomegranates. he was. That represents the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That represents tongues. It represents power and moving into a supernatural realm and operating in the power of God. But there was another veil to get beyond that veil took you into the glory. And see, there's people, I remember because back in the 90s revivals, I, I couldn't believe it, but I was around spirit-filled groups of people, Pentecostal people. People that were baptized in the Holy Spirit, people that when God was really moving, you know, there'd be message in tongues, interpretation, There'd be, you know, maybe people hit by the power of God and fall out under the power, things like that. They were used to the power, but see, when God began to move in the 90s, he began to move and it wasn't just the power, it was the thick glory of God that was coming in that's what came in with rodney har brown that's what came in with toronto and that's what came in at brownsville and other places where god was moving but it was the thick glory of god that came in and even spirit-filled pentecostal people that knew at least in part the power of god they didn't want the glory and many of them thought it was weird and they didn't want it they rejected revival and that was one thing I never understood was why spirit-filled Pentecostal people will reject revival, but I saw them do it. And I, and I hope it's okay for me to say this. I don't mean this as a criticism, but even in the Assemblies of God, which I was a part of you know, for a while, even in that, Brownsville was an Assembly God church with Assembly God leadership. But even in the Assemblies of God, about half of them rejected the revival. It's, it's mind-boggling but yet they did not want that glory for some reason to them it was weird let me tell you god wasn't doesn't want us just hanging around a salvation experience he wants us to get in the power but he doesn't want us just even in the power he wants to bring us into his glory there's things that will happen in the glory of god that none of us could ever do if our life depended on it. there's healing in the glory people are set free from things in the glory it's not just the power. We need the power and that's important too. But the glory of God for Israel is the same thing for us today where the glory of God is tabernacled. There's supernatural protection and supernatural provision. I remember a minister told me one time and um, you know, I say this, hopefully this is, I can say this the right way. But he told me, he said, he was praying over people and he was giving prophetic words. And in essence, when he got to me, he didn't even know me. He did not know our ministry. and did not know that the glory of God was in our ministry, but he was just praying for people as he went through the altar. But as soon as his hand hit me, this prophetic word came out, and he said, don't worry about finances, because gold follows the glory. And then he went on. And I remember last, this last time when, when Brother John Davis was with us, he told me when he was here ministering, he said he went back, and he said that finances just began to break open for him and he said brothers there's something about your ministry that's blessed financially i said we do okay it's supernatural it really is there is no natural explanation i'm just telling you it's supernatural it's kind of like the rock how do you get water out of a rock no 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 wait for for millions of people and their animals you're not talking about like just a little thing. You're talking about a gushing river coming out of a rock. There, but see, that preacher hit the nail on the head. He said, the glory is in your midst. That's why you're prospering financially. He said, don't worry about money because you'll prosper because of the glory. And that's scriptural. You remember Obed-Edom? David tried to bring the ark in, but he tried to do it like the Philistines. He put it on a cart. That's a bad idea. It's, a man died. And so David got scared, and they put the ark in Obed-Edom's house. But he heard, after three months, he was like, people were telling him, Hey, man, old Obed-Edom, he's prospering financially. Things are going really good for that man. Ever since the ark got there, things are just prospering. He's doing really good, and David got jealous. He said, Man, that ark's supposed to be here with me oh but edom's just holding it temporarily we need to get that ark and so he began to consult i'm sure he did he began to consult the priest and say guys where'd i miss it i put it on the i put it on the cart you know and we were riding along and a man died i mean i miss god you need to help me out and they said the priests are supposed to carry the ark on the shoulders and david said okay so he he started doing it god's way but anyway when he did it god's way the glory the ark came into jerusalem But where the glory is. And how many of you guys know that David, because of the ark, because of the glory, God God really blessed David. Did you know about David? A lot of people don't realize this. Not only did David defeat all of his enemies. Remember talking about the glory in the wilderness? David supernaturally defeated his enemies. But also, when David left Solomon money, to take care of the tabernacle to build the temple if you do the math about what David left Solomon it was like millions and millions of dollars millions and millions of dollars but where the glory of God was there was provision there was prosperity and Solomon was able to build the temple because of what David left him so there's supernatural provision there's supernatural protection And there's supernatural um, victory over enemies, etc. And David, in Acts 15, 16, it says, After this, I will return and I will rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins, I'll rebuild and restore it. You know, David had like a temporary tabernacle. Remember that? So, the tabernacle under Eli and Shiloh, God had to judge it. And David wanted that Ark, man, He and so he went and got the Ark of God and brought it into Jerusalem, so now no longer is the, the tabernacle, the glory anyway, the Ark going to be in Shiloh and these other places. He he wanted to bring it into Jerusalem. And David built a tent just around the Ark, and he put priests around it. And Obed-Edom and others that were involved in temple ministry with David were not even um, Israeli. They they weren't Jewish. They they were Gentile, but it seemed like that there was a mixture there of Jew and Gentile together worship. Do you, you sit in the picture here, you're starting to see? So God is wanting to bring Jew and Gentile together around the glory again. And the Bible predicts in Acts 15:16. God said, I will, I will rebuild this Tabernacle of David. And the Tabernacle of David was a place of 24-7 worship and prayer. And we're seeing that in our generation, we're seeing places that have 24-7 worship and prayer. And so, I don't have time really to get into all this, but I think I've covered it as far as when Christ comes and tabernacles on the earth, the final harvest. Remember, I talk about the harvest cycles, how God's going to judge. He's going to rule over nations, and and he's going to place his people in positions to rule with him, Jesus' will over nations. Satan will be bound for a 1,000 years. And when it talks about Satan bound, it's not just Satan, but all of his forces are bound for a thousand years. You see what I'm saying? It's not like there's going to be fallen angels wandering around. That's not going to happen. Satan's forces are bound for a thousand years. So it's going to be like the Garden of Eden under Christ. But even in that, there's still a lot of people that's going to be born with the sinful nature. They don't have glorified bodies. And they're going to have a tendency to be rebellious. And at the end of that thousand years, believe it or not, there's going to be people as numerous as the sand on the seashore. That are going to try to rush Jerusalem and come against Jesus. Satan's going to stir it up and bring them. It's hard to believe. But historically. Mankind has been rebellious. All right, Then that's going to lead to the new heaven and the new earth. I'll I'll say two more things tonight. I want you to hear. One is that Christ is going to reign for a thousand years. It's going to be like the Garden of Eden. At the end of that there's going to be a final purging. But here's what God's going to do. This is going to be amazing to me. But God is going to somehow purge what we know on the earth here. He's going to purge it with fire. Somehow there's going to be a spiritual fire. Now remember this because it'll make sense as I go along. Peter talked about it somehow there's going to be a spiritual fire that's going to purge the entire earth. And what we know in our in the heavens, on the earth, all of it's going to be purified by fire and everybody at that time is going to be given a glorified body so there's not going to be this sinful nature anymore is everybody following me everybody's going to have a glorified body so now your sin nature has gone the final purging has already happened now all the heavens and the earth are purified with fire why because now the father and the new jerusalem are going to come down on the earth that's why God has to purify it with fire because basically the atmosphere, the spiritual atmosphere of heaven right now is going to be on the earth now we're going to have to have glorified bodies to dwell in that but God's going to purge everything with fire the new Jerusalem is going to come down and it's 1500 miles wide so that's from Texas to California in width 1500 miles and most likely it's going to go up like a almost like a mountain and God's the Bible says God's dwelling is going to be on the earth with man forever isn't that awesome and basically what I think is this I speculate the Bible we know in heaven there's the mountain of God and the mount of assembly I think that's what's coming down I think the mountain of God is the new Jerusalem that's going to come down and on the top of that is like the heavenly tabernacle all of that's going to be on the earth Isn't that something so let me give you this the second the last thing i want to tell you is that you got to understand that these times it's important that we learn about the feasts and the sabbath and the turn of the hebrew month and all that because these things are going to be going on i want to show you in the bible predictions of where these things are going to be taking place in the future they're not just going to go away Did you know when God created, see people a lot of times will always like to say, well, that's the law and all that. Well, did you know that when God created the heavens and the earth, he rested on the seventh day? How many of you guys would agree that was before there was ever a law? And people that honored God, like Adam and and down through the years, people that honored God, I'm sure that they rested on a seventh day under God. It's a way of connecting to the one true God, the creator. But let me show you something. These feast days are important to God. The Bible says in Zechariah 14, 16, then it will come about that any who are left among the nations that went out against Jerusalem will go up from year to year. Now, this is the thousand year reign of Christ. The battle of Armageddon just happened against Jerusalem. Jesus came and slaughtered the enemies of Israel. He judged the goat and sheep nations he's reigning in jerusalem now for a thousand years it says those that are left among the nations they will go up from year to year to worship the king the lord of hosts and to celebrate the feast of booths tabernacles and it will be that whichever the families of the earth do not go up to jerusalem to worship the king the lord of hosts there will be no rain on them if the family of egypt does not go up and enter there'll be no rain that falls on them it will be the plague by which the Lord smites the nations who do not go up to celebrate the Feast of Booths or Feast of Tabernacles. This is the punishment of Egypt and the punishment of the nations that do not. So during the millennial reign of Christ, we see a clear reference of the feast being kept. It's not just tabernacles. I believe all the feasts will be kept. And people will be keeping these unto the Lord. You got to understand that, that what we know as heaven's culture and and these feasts and all this, it's going to be kept in the millennial reign, and I guarantee you it's going to be kept on into when the Father comes in tabernacles on the earth. I guarantee you. Because the Bible says in Leviticus 23 that it will be from generation to generation from now on. And then you see this. Now see the thing is in the New Covenant, we just simply don't have to do these things. Okay? It's not mandatory. But Isaiah sixty six nineteen This is amazing to me. It says, I know their works and their thoughts. The time is coming to gather all the nations and tongues and they will come and see my glory. And I will set a sign among them in coastlands that have neither heard my fame nor seen my glory and they will declare my glory among the nations. And look at this. Then they shall bring all of their brethren from all the nations as a grain offering to the Lord. Horses, chariots, uh, litters, mules, camels, to my holy mountain in Jerusalem, says the Lord. Just as the sons of Israel bring their grain offering and a clean vessel, I will also take some of them for priests and Levites. Did you know that there's, this is here in a moment, Ezekiel 40-48, through 48, but did you know that there's going to be a temple that's going to be rebuilt? And did you know that that temple is going to be in operation during the millennial reign of Christ? and most likely on into when the father comes but here's the thing among the nations it says that they're gonna be bringing grain offerings and they're gonna be bringing offerings unto the Lord from among the nations to Jerusalem to Jesus and it says I will even take from among the nations some of them to be priests and Levites to serve in my temple so it's gonna be both Jew and Gentile which is a perfect fit for Jesus because he is a priest in the order of Melchizedek, both you and Gentile. And then it says, for just as there are new heavens and the new earth, which I will make endure before me, declares the Lord, so your offspring and your name will endure. And it will be, look at this, and it will be from new moon to new moon, from Sabbath to Sabbath, that all mankind will come and bow down before me, says the Lord. So from Rosh Kodesh to Rosh Kodesh, from the turn of the Hebrew month and also from Sabbath to Sabbath, the whole nations are going to come worship and bow down before the king. So what I'm getting at is this. These things are eternal. They're going to continue on in the millennial reign of Christ and continue on into the new heavens and new earth that there's always going to be a Sabbath day. There's always going to be a turn of the Hebrew month, which is called Rosh Kodesh. And these feasts are going to be going on. I'm just telling you. But how awesome is it going to be, guys? Think about this. The day will come when me and you are able to go to Jerusalem and Jesus is going to be there. And we're going to be able to sit around and have like a Passover meal. We're going to be able to go into Jerusalem one day and there's going to be Sukkot little booths everywhere and we're going to be able to wave the lulav, and all of us are going to be able to worship Jesus and he's physically going to be there. And Jesus himself is our great high priest. We're going to hear him stand up in Jerusalem and lift his hands and speak that blessing, that Aaronic blessing over us. In Hebrew, the Lord bless you and keep you and he's going to speak that out over us. And we're going to be there with him. I'm just showing you that there's prophecies in the Bible that shows these things are eternal and they will continue on. And so I think that it's important that at least we know about these things and understand them. This is part of heaven's culture. And some people say, well, why is there going to be a temple when Jesus comes? Well, because God wants it to be, number one. (laughs) But there will be. But I don't believe that there's going to be sin offerings when Jesus comes at all. I don't believe that because Jesus fulfilled it. But you'll notice it said grain offerings. And not to mention there may be still some animals, but it would be like peace offerings. And, you know, the priesthood's got to eat. I hope that I'm part of the priesthood and we got to eat some good brisket, right? So there's going to be some, you know, maybe some animal sacrifice, but it's going to be in the way of a peace offering, not a sin offering. I don't believe there's going to be sin offerings and people that have studied the offerings. You know, there's a peace offering, which is just worship. It doesn't have to do with your sin being forgiven. So these will be the things that's going on in the millennial reign. There will be a temple. It will be an operation. And that will continue on until the father comes down and and there's still going to be a temple and there's still going to be a sabbath there's still going to be a rosh kadesh a new moon there's still going to be these feast days and they're important to god now and they'll be important to him then okay well father we thank you lord for your word tonight we bless you i thank you for this time what an awesome time in your presence we'll pray for people tonight We're, we're believing you for just a powerful move of the spirit of god tonight i know people are hungry for the presence of God and hungry for your word. Lord, we love you and we bless you and I ask you to seal this time in our hearts. Help us to never lose our hunger. And let me say this too as we're closing out. If you wanna not lose your hunger, pray about it. God, keep me hungry, keep me on fire. Let that become your prayer every day. So Lord, we bless you and we thank you. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.